step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Now we'll stream to YouTube starting now. Okay, I should already be live, but I'm going to go ahead and look for confirmation that I actually made it over to YouTube before I start. Welcome anyone who's who's joining me. Let me see over here. I'll click on this and make sure that I mute it as well. Let's see. Hmm. I should be here and I'm not seeing myself. Hello, hello. Are you seeing me? Maybe there's a delay. It should be working. It says I'm live, and yet I don't see myself over here. Hmm. It says I'm waiting. Okay, so you can see me. How can you see me and I can't see me over at YouTube? Sorry, guys. Interesting. You see me, but I don't see myself on YouTube. That's very strange. Okay, well, I'm going to continue on. I don't know why I don't see myself on, on YouTube, but I can see myself over on Zoom. Hello, everybody. This is New Sandwich. I'm Amy Peekoff. And just a reminder for those of you who are tuning into New Sandwich for the first time, what I try to do in this series of shows is give you first a piece of good news, in the middle a piece of bad news, and then finish off with a piece of good news. It might, sometimes like today, I'm kind of fudging it a little because this is a heavy topic. I might be taking different angles on the same story. So I'm gonna start and end with more optimistic angles on this same story that has to do with YouTube censorship. Again, another reminder, what is my standard for good news? I'm an individualist, I'm a follower of Ayn Rand's philosophy, and my standard for good news is anything that is auspicious, that's promising for the prospects of people, us, you and me, all human beings, for our ability to guide our lives according to our own judgment. That's what I judge as good news. So anything that's bad news is something that means, you know, that's, that's uh, threatening to our ability to guide our lives according to our own judgment. I think for human beings, again, following Ayn Rand's philosophy, that it is necessary for us to be left free to, to do that, to guide our lives according to our own judgment. So with that being said, let's dive into this topic of YouTube. And of course, you know, I want to focus on the shooting that occurred at YouTube yesterday and tie it into the broader complaints about so-called censorship by YouTube. But let's start by just contemplating the tremendous value that is YouTube. I have praised YouTube a lot in the past. As a matter of fact, I am streaming exclusively live on YouTube right now, unless of course you're a supporter of my show and then you've gotten an invite to join me over at Zoom. 
But otherwise, the one place that I'm streaming live right now and the place that I've been choosing to host the videos for my shows is over at YouTube. There's a tremendous distribution potential for all sorts of content. Um, one of the things that I've talked about on my show that I get personal value from is the ability to find music that I love on YouTube. So I happen to really like a band from Australia called the Jezebels. And every so often I'll go on YouTube and I'll search for one of my favorite songs and then they'll show me a video of a live performance of that song that I've never seen before. Or maybe because I subscribe to the Jezebels on YouTube, they'll show me that there's a new song or video out that I hadn't seen or something like that. So there's that connection. This band's from Australia. And in fact, it was a YouTube video that I first saw that helped me to discover them. It was a dog agility video. The, the music was behind the video. Many other people discovered the band through a YouTube video. It was a video by Danny McCaskill, that excellent mountain biker, you know, the stunt mountain biking guy. And he put this great song called A Little Piece behind one of his videos. And that's how so many people became aware of this excellent band. So I mean, talk about just tremendous value, so much culture and knowledge at your fingertips on YouTube, but the ability for someone like me to just broadcast live and get my ideas out there. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So there's your, there's your positive. And now we're going to go into the potential negatives about YouTube because what we have seen of late, and I believe that there may be some merit to the complaints is that YouTube has been filtering out content and filtering out content that may be with some sort of a political agenda in mind. Uh, of course, the, the shooting, the, and, you know, the, the woman who was complaining and therefore ended up going and shooting people at YouTube, maybe that challenges, you know, the idea that there's a political slant to YouTube's, uh, so-called censorship. But, you know, here's the thing. So the complaints are that YouTube is engaging in censorship. And a lot of people have been throwing out the word, you know, censorship, not only with respect to YouTube, but also with respect to Facebook and Twitter, other places where content is shared or people are engaging in, you know, various sharing and social media activities. People have been complaining about censorship. And, um, you know, first of all, it is difficult to know whether there is actually any screening go on, going on. We do know that these companies employ algorithms in order to decide what they're going to present to you in your feed, right? So when I log on to YouTube, you know, I'm a you know, subscriber of people at YouTube. I have my YouTube account where I'm able to broadcast to you. When I go on to YouTube, there's a series of different videos that YouTube is suggesting to me based on my interests and the, you know, my previous likes and viewing history and everything else. If I go on Facebook, I have a news feed. And to a certain extent, I control my news feed. I control whether I follow certain people, allow people to be my friends, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, Facebook has been talking about the fact that they are tailoring the newsfeed in various ways. Recently, we have seen a, a shift on Facebook away from uh, the sharing of links to you know, various news stories and stuff. And there's more of an emphasis on people sharing personal things, you know, cute cat pictures and pictures of what they ate for dinner and 
you know, any sort of a status statement that doesn't come with a link to a news item and stuff, those, those things seem to get priority in the Facebook feed. Now, they have their reasons for that. Are their reasons political? We don't know necessarily, but there's been a lot of speculation about it, and a lot of conservatives in particular have been speculating about it. Twitter, Twitter's been a hotbed for this sort of criticism, and on Twitter, a lot of people have been saying that they uh, you know, have been shadow banned is the word that I've heard used out there, that it's, it's not actually a ban, but what they do is they use their algorithm to make sure that certain people with controversial ideas don't appear in other people's feeds. That's been the speculation anyway. I think that it would be very difficult to prove that this is going on. I tend to think that there may be some of this going on and that, you know, when you've got these people at Twitter and Facebook trying to either not distribute fake news or not distribute offensive content, that some of the things that will be blocked will end up being from the so-called conservative thinkers and everything else. So maybe there's some merit to it, but you know, whatever it is, right? And, and also I, I should add, there are some people who have been banned from Facebook or Twitter temporarily and I don't know that any of that is due to a, a, an agenda by the you know, company itself as much as they have set up an automatic algorithm whereby if people complain about you, then they'll go ahead and institute that temporary ban until some human being at their company has a chance to go ahead and look at everything and decide, are you really that horrible person that is violating the terms of use of the platform and everything else. So there have been people, I've seen them temporarily banned from social media sites for a couple days or so. I don't think it's anything having to do with the politics of the company per se. It's just that they have, in order to deal with volume, set up these algorithms that will automatically restrict you from using the platform for a limited period of time while they have time to review this. Um, but the point that I want to make about any of this, right? Uh, like I said, maybe there's some merit to the complaints that some of the algorithms and the way that they're set up are going to discriminate against people who have more conservative ideas over liberal ideas. And, you know, the owners of these platforms are typically more liberal-minded people. And so that wouldn't necessarily be surprising. Maybe there's some merit to that. Whatever you call this, though, you should not be calling it censorship. Censorship is the absolute wrong word to be using to describe this. Why? Because censorship is a term that refers to what government does to people. It refers to government initiating force against citizens in order to stop citizens from speaking. And I fear that if we use that term too loosely, censorship, that, um, you know, what we're doing in effect is, is we are setting up a situation in which we're going to invite real censorship from government. And in fact, that is one of the things that we've seen in the descriptions of the conduct of these companies as censorship. We have seen some right-wingers say, you know, that I don't, I don't know if they're completely comfortable with it, right? Because they'll say things like, a lot of them will say things like, 
well, wouldn't it serve these lefties right if government came in and regulated them? Because after all, they're just in favor of regulation anyway. And so why don't we just give them a taste of their own medicine? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Um, if you have government controlling these companies, these broadcast companies, YouTube or Facebook or, or Twitter, then you have opportunities for actual real censorship. And I don't think that that is what any freedom-minded person wants. Any person, like I said, who is concerned about the ability of the individual to guide his own life according to his own judgment should not want government control of, of any of this stuff. So this has been the climate lately. Um, you know, that people have been accusing these companies of censorship. And then, of course, what do we see yesterday? We see a shooting. We see a woman herself, she, you know, she had been saying that YouTube was censoring her. And apparently she got so upset about it that she drove all the way up to the YouTube headquarters and went in and shot a few people and then, of course, shot herself. I'm not going to repeat her name, A, because I'll just botch the pronunciation of it, and B, because anybody who does shooting like this, I usually call them scumbag. It's, it's been males every time I've been talking about something like this. this. is the first time it's a female. They say, you know, a shooting like this is rare to have been committed by a female. This is the first time I'm calling a female a scumbag, but yeah, she's a scumbag, just like anybody else. I'm not going to discriminate against women and calling them scumbags. Uh, this particular scumbag, most people have been talking about the fact that she doesn't fit the narrative. And the narrative, of course, is they were all hoping it was going to be some right winger, gun toting, whatever. You know, YouTube has been saying recently that they're not going to broadcast any videos that promote the sale of guns and all these sorts of things. Um, but no, she doesn't fit the narrative at all. She's a left wing. She, uh, you know, was a vegan. And the videos that she put out there were promoting veganism and alternative lifestyle and Persian culture, animal cruelty and stuff. You know, I was looking uh, to see, you know, was there any merit to the claims that she, her, you know, the viewing of her content was restricted in any way? Again, I don't want to use the term censorship to apply to any of this because, it is not censorship. It's technically censorship only if it's government that's doing this. If it's a private company deciding to restrict the content, yes, let's complain about it. You know, let's go ahead and say, I think that you're, you know, maybe you're not consistently YouTube. You're not consistently upholding your terms of use policies because you have restricted the viewing of my content or you, you've demonetized my content when you've, allowed, you know, so-and-so this other person to have their content broadcast or monetized or whatever. Let's criticize. Yeah, let's criticize, but don't call it censorship. Um, as I said, I think this is going to end up in inviting real censorship, but she did. She used the term censorship. She was on YouTube, actually on videos complaining about it. And as I was looking at descriptions of some of the videos, I watched one of the videos and she doesn't, seem very good, by the way. I, I could imagine that maybe just her videos weren't that popular and, and so she had a problem. What I do know is that YouTube, after the first of the year or so, sometime in February, they changed their policies with respect to monetization. And you could not monetize your account unless you have 
two different uh, metrics met. One of them is you have to have a thousand subscribers. So this is why every time that I'm on, I urge you to go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel so that maybe even though I've got this little niche show and I uh, spread ideas that most people don't think are very popular or whatever, I'm a consistent principled advocate of freedom and individual rights. Imagine that. Um, you know, I, I always try to encourage people, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Why? Because until I get to a thousand subscribers, I can't monetize. I can't use super chat, which is this pretty cool feature that they've got over here at YouTube. I can't do any of those things. The other thing that you need to have is you need to have 4,000 hours of viewing time within the past year. And you have to show those two things to YouTube before you can monetize now. It didn't used to be that way. Anybody could just apply and monetize. And I guess unless the content was offensive, then they wouldn't take you down. So what I'm wondering is if she just lost viewership, you know, she used to at a certain point make some money from YouTube. And then at a certain point they cut her off because she just wasn't getting the views or something. Her content didn't look that good just based on the one video that I saw. Uh, but the other thing that when I was reading some descriptions of what she put up there, I was wondering whether they were restricting some of her content because it was very graphic, right? So she is, she was a vegan, an animal rights activist, and apparently she had some graphic images of animal cruelty and slaughter and things like that. And I'm wondering if YouTube went ahead and restricted the viewership for some of that and by extension went it, you know, ended up, um, you know, restricting viewership for some of her other things as well. I don't know if that's the case. It's hard for me to tell, obviously, maybe YouTube will talk about it at some point, but it would be hard for me to tell whether YouTube was actually doing anything to restrict viewership of her videos, or maybe she just wasn't as popular as she thought she should have been in any event it doesn't matter either way the answer is not to drive all the way up to the headquarters and go out there and and shoot up people and stuff um you go out there like she was doing and complain about censorship if you can figure out a way to you know learn what youtube's actual filtering policies are what the algorithm you know algorithm actually is and what it does and then you can criticize it substantively, that's a great thing to do too. The answer is not, of course, violence. So um, that is the scumbag. Let me go over to, over on the YouTube. Uh, so what should someone call it, asks Marshall over at YouTube. I would just call it, God, what would I call it? Um, content restriction or... Uh, content policy, something like that, you know, restrictive content policies, but it's not censorship. Again, we want to reserve that term censorship to refer to something that government is doing because that is the thing that must be stopped. What must be stopped or prevented is government initiating force against citizens to prevent them from speaking. As long as we have freedom of expression, there is hope to spread the right ideas, to change the culture for the better, to change government for the better, eventually. Um, Bear over at YouTube says, maybe she could no longer get her message out about her goal with her performance art. This is what Scott Adams apparently said on Twitter. It was no longer promoted, et cetera. Yeah, we can speculate about 
whether there was any particular filtering or whether it was just that she had lost popularity and she was frustrated about it. But there may indeed have been some filtering, I'm thinking due to the graphic content of some of her material. Uh, 2B News is suggesting favoritism, political correctness at the corporate level. Yeah, I mean, you could say it's, um, you know, political correctness as a corporate policy. There's ways to criticize it without referring to it as censorship. Now, what you could, for example, I've used the term censorship in a certain way to refer to something that isn't exactly government censorship, but I've added a modifier to it. So what I have done is I've used the term vigilante censorship, and I use that to refer to, for example, Antifa and other leftist advocates who go on campus, and they actually use force to try to shut down speech with which they disagree. And the reason I call it vigilante censorship is because they usually precede the use of force in this sort of situation uh, by calls for, you know, the administration of the university or government to shut down this speech. They think that government should be shutting down this speech with which they disagree with that they find offensive and everything. And instead, they go ahead and they take matters into their own hands and they actually use force. What you could say... I mean, you really can't even say it. Uh, And I almost was going to put this in the title for today, that what this scumbag woman was engaging in was vigilante, anti-censorship. But you'd have to put censorship in scare quotes. I put censorship in scare quotes, you know, when I refer to it here on YouTube, because it is not censorship. It is a private company's policy in deciding about what content they want to display to people. And the answer is, as some people have been saying over here, in the chat at YouTube, to be news says the answer is competition. Yes, I got somebody sent me a message through one of my social media accounts and said, why don't you join? I think it's me. We is the new social media outlet that doesn't have the same sort of content filtering. Again, I don't know what Facebook's algorithm is for sending me stuff. I assume that their content, which they think is you know, they, I mean, excuse me, that their criteria, which they think is content neutral, probably does end up skewing a little bit left wing. Zuckerberg is left wing. I do think he's earnest. I don't think he really means to shut down all intelligent discussion and debate. I just do not think that about him based on everything I see. Other people disagree. If there is content filtering that you believe is so egregious that you believe that it's not valuable for you to be on these platforms anymore then just go ahead and leave. You know, at a certain point, if I'm on YouTube and I tend to think that YouTube is not getting my content out there for some reason other than I'm just this small little niche show and I, you know, I I can't expect to have millions of views on the first day that I come out here. You know, I don't, I don't expect that. Um, But if I somehow learn some concrete evidence that YouTube is preventing me from having my videos distributed to people and getting the followers and everything else, then no, I'm not going to continue to bang my head against a brick wall. I'll figure out another way to try to distribute content. We all try and do this if, if we're rational. So yeah, the answer is competition. Um, so what is my fear with this, right? And this, this was the kind of inspiration for the new sandwich today was me talking about 
the, the fear that I had. Um, it was inspired, the thought was inspired by reports that the police had known that this scumbag woman was on her way to YouTube headquarters, that she was mad about being censored by YouTube. She had complained about YouTube to her family, you know, in these public videos and everything else, and that she was actually on the way there and that she was angry. Supposedly the police may have known this. Now I'm getting conflicting reports about it because the latest that I've got, I've got a New York Times article that was just updated at 11:22 a.m. Pacific time. So that was just a little while ago. And what they are saying in this article according to the police is that they the local police there are not commenting on reports that the family told them that she was headed towards YouTube offices and that they were, you know, she was angry and everything else. Now the family has gone to local media and said that she had been angry with YouTube for a long time and that they knew about it. So, you know, who do you believe? Do you believe the police chief who's there saying, oh, no, 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 we didn't know anything in advance? Or do you believe the reports that you're hearing from the Daily Mail UK and other news sources that in fact the family had told the police that she was angry and that she was going there? Um, I mean, let's go ahead and give the benefit of the doubt that either they didn't have any warning in advance or if they did that there wasn't anything deliberate about a failure to notify youtube about it that it was just this bumbling inefficiency that we've seen in cases of other scumbags shooters around the country you know where there were warnings and everybody does the monday morning quarterbacking armchair quarterbacking afterwards and says hey you know shouldn't they have handled this better Maybe it was just ineptitude, incompetence to blame that they didn't end up warning YouTube about this. Uh, we could also talk about, yeah, YouTube is a gun-free zone and gun-free zones are magnets. You know, that's a place where there's a whole bunch of sitting ducks and we should not have gun-free zones if YouTube was a gun-free zone. I don't know for sure that it was, but I think I've heard some stuff about that. This is all true. You know, I think that people should be allowed to have weapons for self-defense, that yes, it would have ended sooner with less injury to the victims if there was somebody there who was armed who could take her on and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but let's assume it was ineptitude. Just assume it was just ineptitude. Here's my fear, right? We are in this climate right now where it's not only with respect to YouTube, but it's also Facebook because of the Cambridge Analytica situation and everything else. There are calls to regulate these companies. And there are plenty on the so-called right, so-called conservatives, who are joining in this chorus and saying, yeah, let's regulate them. They just have too much power. And, um, you know, after all, they're leftists and they believe in government regulation. So let's give them a taste of their own medicine, et cetera. So my fear was, you know, born, like I said, of, of, you know, integrating that story about the fact that maybe the police knew ahead of time and potentially they let this happen in a certain way. They didn't warn YouTube. And then at the same time, thinking back on Atlas Shrugged. So now I'm going to give you, and I'm wearing my Atlas Shrugged t-shirt here because it's a potential life could imitate Atlas Shrugged moment or something. So that's why I went ahead and did that today. 
but it's a spoiler. So if you didn't watch, or excuse me, watch, don't watch Atlas Shrugged. Read Atlas Shrugged. Don't watch it. Movies. Eh. Um, if you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for you. So I'm sorry if it is. Maybe just tune out, go blah, blah, blah for, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. Um, there's a part in Atlas Shrugged where the government is encouraging and allowing violent attacks on Hank Rudin's business to take place. And part of the intention is to sort of pressure Reardon into accepting government regulation and controls over his business. That's the way that I'll put it the most vaguely. Um, and so similarly here, I was saying, okay, there's a lot of people who are ready to clamp down on and regulate these tech companies. What if some people in the government use this as an example and say, oh gosh, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are really angry about censorship and they're really angry, Facebook, about you misusing their information and everything else. And Facebook, you could be next. You know, maybe the next scumbag is going to come after you. And we, the government, are here to help because, of course, we all know that if the government comes in and regulates and says, oh, don't worry, we'll make sure that YouTube doesn't censor you anymore because we've got a whole new government agency and bureaucrats and stuff of course, they all have your best interest in mind and they'll make sure that the policies are fair and that the content is not filtered in a way, you know, and right now, I mean, after all, we've got Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. We've got a Republican president. So what could go wrong, right? Just let's go ahead and have the regulation. All the conservatives should be in favor of it. Um, you know, I, I, initially put a, an article up about this from Robert Spencer because he actually had the best analysis of this woman. He was saying, you know, this, it's not a jihad attack. She actually wasn't a Muslim. She was a Bahia. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, she belonged to a different religion, even though she's Persian and that it was about her gripe of censorship. And he says, you know, a lot of conservatives complain about censorship at YouTube too, but they don't take up arms about it and, and everything. And you know, the question is, is this going to bring some sort of fuel? Is it going to intimidate YouTube or Facebook into accepting so-called government protection in exchange for a concession that they'll let government regulate them in terms of their content, in terms of their, um, you know, control and use of our private data? That is my concern. That's what I think is the most ominous thing about this. And the fact that I, my concerns are well-founded was in a way substantiated by a response that I got because I tweeted this concern out there. And again, you know, it's Atlas Shrugged that gave me the, you know, the inspiration that maybe this is some sort of argument that they're going to use. That in conjunction with the police ineptitude at, at best is what we're going to call it. Uh, let me find on my trusty iPhone, I did a screen grab. So someone named Shane out on Twitter writes back. He says, corporatists like YouTube love regulations. And then he gives me a link to some Vanity Fair article, which I haven't gone to yet. I guess I can go take a look at it. Um, suppose corporatists, I don't even know what I should make of the term corporatists. I got to ask Jerome Brooke about that. I s probably smell a rat in, in just the use of the term corporatists. But 
you know, suppose they love regulations. Suppose the people at YouTube think that there should be regulations in certain, my guess, and I, you know, I've had this discussion when I've had the opportunity to, peop, to speak to people with whom I disagree before, I, I try to ask them, well, do you think that you would like to be regulated in your own business? How, you know, if government clamped down on the way that you perform your services for your clients, would you like that? My guess is that YouTube doesn't want force used against them, that they would like to continue to pursue to make, you know, make their business as successful as possible using the policies that they think are best suited to do that, that they don't want government regulation. Maybe YouTube thinks that certain things should be regulated, you know, so for example, everybody thinks that medical care should be regulated. Oh, Luca over here in the Zoom is saying that corporatism is the word we use in Europe for cronyism, really. You know, so it, is YouTube crony? I don't think YouTube is crony. And Yaron, Yaron Brook, he's my co-host on the weekend show that we do. He knows a lot more, I think, about business and, you know, in general, the type of businessmen that exist at the head of these companies, the CEOs, than anybody else. And he's been saying that in terms of cronyism, even though it does exist, that the people in Silicon Valley are, are the less, you know, the least crony of, of any of the people out there. And why is it? You know, I think it's, A, they're not regulated as much. They don't, you know, there's that, there's no encouragement to mix government and business as there is in other, you know, uh, industries where regulation is such a factor. I think that that's very different. Um, in any event, suppose, right? Suppose they're corporatist, they're crony, they believe in regulation. Still, nonetheless, I think the best policy is to not regulate these companies. Um, I mean, there, there's, you know, one huge reason is this, right? Because, you know, what's the reason that somebody who supposedly believes in freedom might think it's a good idea in today's climate only? You know, again, how you poor people who have given up on principle entirely ever think about anything clearly? I have no idea anymore because there's so many realms in which people are like, oh yeah, principle, but not here. And principle, but not over there. And it's like, okay, there's no principles anymore today because it's the constant state of emergency and we're all just turning our head around waiting for the next shoe to drop or something constant. You, you can't live that way, right? You, there's principles. Um, let's think about why we would want to regulate YouTube or regulate Facebook or regulate Twitter because of so-called censorship. The reason is because we believe it is affecting our ability to advocate for freedom, for individual rights, for limited government. How in the world do you expect to get closer to that goal by actually advocating for government control over content distribution? I mean, it's just beyond me to think that you could think that there's any progress towards that. So, you know, Shane, you give me that response about, oh, well, YouTube, they're all in favor of regulation. So as if like they have it coming to them. I mean, this is the thing, they, they have force coming to them. Anyway, sorry, I'm frustrated. Um, I, I just don't see that anything can be accomplished by calling for regulation on the companies that distribute content. Um, right now you think everything's golden because we've got Republicans in the House and the Senate and you have Trump. 
I think you're wrong about Trump if you think he's sympathetic to a an individual rights-based agenda, a limited government-based agenda. You're wrong about him anyway. Uh, but even if you were right, it's not going to stay in the hands of these people forever. And who knows even what's going to happen in the midterm elections. So you, know, you can't think, oh, let's give government more power and it's just going to be temporary and everything else. Some dictator is going to get in there and control and we're going to have, before we know it, 1984. And everything's going to be filtered, not by a well-meaning liberal from Silicon Valley, but instead it's going to be filtered by a government bureaucrat and it's whoever's going to be in power. Luca adds over here, he says, they would become cronies if they would accept the, quote, protection of the government, like you say. He says, I fail to see where there is any regulation in internet businesses like YouTube. Yeah, I don't know that there is much in the way of regulation. I mean, there's some regulation that applies to all business, whether it's local regulation, OSHA requirements for their workplace and anything else in the world. But um, no, I mean, in general, there's relatively little uh, regulation in these businesses. The place where I fear that, you know, there has already been a, a sort of infiltration of government influence is through something like what is going on with Facebook. Facebook is under a so-called consent decree that was imposed upon it due to FTC action. Of, it was a few years ago. And Facebook supposedly was guilty of, um, you know, some sort of mishandling of a privacy policy issue. And, you know, we know that Facebook has been bumbling a little bit with respect to privacy policy. Cambridge Analytica was in part a bumble. Um, uh, bumble? A fumble. I think fumble is the word that I wanted there. So, yeah, they've been fumbling, right? Facebook has. But I think that they're earnest. And nonetheless the FTC came in and said, oh, well, your privacy policy was fraudulent or something. And so your penalty is going to be that we, the FTC, are going to control you. We're going to control your privacy policy for 20 years. So, I mean, suppose Facebook was guilty of fraud for some sort of privacy policy. If they were, then what is you know, the remedy that you should do is give some sort of value to the people who were injured, not have the government use it as an excuse for a power grab. But that seriously, that consent decree said 20 years, and it was 20 years if good behavior. So, you know, I mean, I haven't followed this up, but I could imagine that the Cambridge Analytica thing is going to be used as a justification by the FTC to continue the control over Facebook's privacy policy longer. So there's already some problem there, right? You know, the, even though there isn't any formal regulation passed, an agency like the FTC will try to get its hooks in through stuff like that. You know, oh, Facebook's guilty of some sort of fraud. Let's come in and slap them with a consent decree. And it's a, you know, it's a settlement of sorts. And Zuckerberg, you know, like I said, I think he's well-meaning. I think he's earnest, wants to do the right thing, goes ahead and signs this consent decree with the FTC and is maybe already going down that road. Are they cronies? I don't think they're cronies yet. But the thing I want to reiterate and... You know, I, I talked about it on the last show that I did with Huron, and I was asking him for advice, right? You know, what do we do? These companies 
YouTube where we can just, I mean, here I am, I'm online. I'm just out there just putting content out to the world. Am I necessarily going to get a huge distribution and lots of following and have a ton of influence? No, but I have a chance at doing that because of this platform. Same with Facebook, same with Twitter. You know, I have this opportunity to get content out there. Um, I have opportunities because of the tools that Apple and Facebook and everybody else provides for us to connect with people all over the world, people that I really care about. So there's a lot at stake. And, it, you know, I, one of the, my main focuses in my work is privacy. So, you know, one of the things that I look at is how close are we to the world of George Orwell's 1984? And I strongly believe that if we, you know, kind of give in, if, if we acquiesce to the calls to regulate YouTube and particularly Apple and Facebook and everything else and have government control the private information that we share with those companies directly more than it already does, right? You know, I've complained about the extent to which government already has access of the information that we share with those companies because of the third party doctrine. I'm not going to go into all that again here. You can Google my name and third-party doctrine. You'll find plenty of what I've said about it. Um, that doctrine already gives government too easy access, in my view, to the information that we share with those companies. Imagine if there is regulation that directly impacts, A, how we distribute content over these channels, and then B, how our private information is handled. Yeah, of course, you know, like the income tax, it'll start out very little control, so well-meaning, so neutral, and everyone's going to feel secure. YouTube's going to feel secure because everyone's going to relax. They're going to think they're not being censored anymore, and so they're not going to blame YouTube. It's all the government's in charge. And so, you know, there's going to be some honeymoon period where everyone's going to feel great. But eventually, you get people into government who are ready to take that power, and you're going to have government control what you're going to get to see on YouTube and everything else. You're going to have government controlling access more directly to your private information and just kind of accessing it whenever it wants. We would be moving so much more quickly towards 1984. And again, I ask any so-called conservative, anybody who says that they believe in freedom and limited government, anybody who has been seriously considering that it would be okay for government to regulate these tech companies because these companies are supposedly guilty of censorship. I would ask you to take a look at what this scumbag did yesterday, which is point a gun directly at people at YouTube and fire it at them and say, why would you be in favor of government in effect doing that indirectly? Because that's really what you're calling for. Government is force. You know, Ron Paul, I would never vote for Ron Paul, but one thing that I liked watching when he was in the debates and the Republican primaries is him naming explicitly what government is. Government is force. Government acts through force. You're, ask, you're asking, many people are asking for government to act against Facebook, against YouTube, against Twitter. They're asking for that because they think it's going to help our prospects for freedom. It's not going to do anything of the kind. It's just going to give government, government which has this monopoly on the use of force, et cetera, government control 
over those communication channels. We should here, like anywhere else, argue for, you know, and I'm going to make the analogy to trade. In the realm of trade, we should unilaterally drop our tariffs down to zero. In the realm of the trade for ideas where we're trying to communicate our pro-freedom, pro-individual rights ideas, we should always argue for no regulation in any of these media outlets, regardless of what their particular views are, right? If Zuckerberg decides he's going to have this algorithm out there on Facebook that all I'm going to see is pro-leftist propaganda, I'm going to leave Facebook. Yeah, I'm trying to promote a show and I like to connect with people there, but I'll leave. Um, let's go ahead and advocate for consistent freedom as a policy. Unless you think we're really, you know, it's, it's end times and everything else. But even if it's end times, right? Suppose you think totalitarianism is around the corner. How is it going to help to avoid the inevitable totalitarianism that you see around the corner to give more power to government over these communication channels? I just, like I said, I just don't get it at all. I hope that I'm wrong in that fear. What I really hope is that people will look at what happened to YouTube yesterday and, as I said, realize that it is a, um, you know, it, 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 it's seen in practice what many people are calling for. Many people have called for government action, which is initiation of force, to take place against YouTube and other companies because of so-called censorship. This woman did it. This scumbag woman did it. She was wrong. You don't use violence as a means to protest a corporate policy with which you disagree, even if it's a corporate policy that prevents you from getting content out there that might save the world. You're not going to save the world by using force to shut down a private business because the whole point is, again, to leave individuals free to think. Um, so that, like I said, that's my fear that... YouTube might innocently decide that they're going to accept the protection of government, that they are afraid of more women like, or not just women, but, you know, more disgruntled YouTube users like this scumbag, you know, they're going to come in and use violence and the government says, oh, oh, don't worry, you know, we'll, we'll protect you. And all you have to do is let us regulate you and not put up too much of a stink about it. I mean, you know, let us, right? I mean, they're either going to regulate or not, right? So if government regulates, what would the answer of the consistent freedom-loving person be? They'll say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to agree to do business. And you just shut YouTube down, right? You shrug. That would be the consistent. What they would like, what government would like, is for them to be able to pass regulations and for YouTube to not protest in any way, um, you know, it's something that I fear some of these tech companies have done with respect to the Cloud Act that was shoved in the omnibus. They put out their little statements in favor of it. And was that a concession of, of some kind? Was that them not putting up the protest that they should on behalf of the privacy of, of you know, their consumers? Um, something we need to, to think about and look more into. So, yeah, so that that's... That's my fear. I, I hope that it's wrong. And, you know, what, what is the bright side, right? How can I end a new sandwich on a positive note here? Well, 
the first thing is the thing that made me think of the bad angle on this is the thing that also has the tool, I believe, to save us, which is the novel Atlas Shrugged and the philosophy that's contained within it. Atlas Shrugged, as so many people know, has been proving more and more prescient every single year. Like I said, to, you know, to me, there were shades of that one interaction between the government and Reardon in this particular episode, because we've got people calling for regulation of the tech companies, and we have some people, uh, one person, this one scumbag, using physical aggression against that company for the very reason that somebody else is calling for regulation of the company, right? Um, she uses direct force. Everybody else is calling for indirect force. It's the same thing that's going on, right? Uh, only here, it's it was real. She She's a nut job. I mean, she was a nut job as far as I could tell, but hers was real. Actually, in Atlas Shrugged, it's a lot of staged anger. I don't think that there were people who were actually angry at Reardon and Atlas, right? I, I don't know that... Um, Maybe there were some, maybe there were a few. Maybe there were a few who are actually really angry and, and using violence against Reardon's business. But here, you know, here's this woman really, as far as we can tell, earnestly doing it. Um, but yeah, we have this novel. Now, this novel contains in it not just the concretes that will, you know, sort of bring to mind that maybe some of the things that are going on in real life are from Atlas Shrugged and that we should look at Atlas Shrugged, you know, for some sort of guidance about what path we might be going down. Uh, I mean, on a concrete level, if anybody else saw the parallel that I did, they could look at Atlas Shrugged and say, oh, wow, we should not allow this incident, this scumbag woman to further the cause for regulating YouTube. You should think about that separately. Is it, is it a good idea to regulate YouTube? It either is or it isn't. And the fact that some woman comes and uses force against them that the government is saying, oh, don't worry, we'll protect you and stuff. No, no, no. We don't want to look at any of that, right? We've seen this in Atlas Shrugged. We don't want to go down that path. We've been warned. Uh, but moreover, in Atlas Shrugged, there is a, you know, an excellent dramatization of the role of reason in human life and the importance of principle. So the answer to, you know, the, the entire situation that gave rise to this horrible atrocity yesterday, the answers are in there as well. Um, I mean, who knows? This woman She's some vegan leftist, whatever. She heard some people sloppily using the term censorship and she adopted it, went ahead and start using the term censorship herself. And if she had any understanding of what the term censorship is, she thinks that force is being used against, you know, used against her. She's not thinking clearly in principles. It is really important. And, you know, and I, I just had a debate with a woman yesterday. I just thinking of the parallel. Um, the, the, you know, the abandonment of principles is so rampant on the anti-left side right now. And Yaron was just talking about it in a show this week, and it got me thinking, and I've written an article called Pragmatism and Privacy, and I've talked about Trump's pragmatism. And yesterday I put this tweet out there where I said, you know, pragmatism, pragmatism is supposed to be United States, America's most important contribution to philosophy. And isn't it sad that pragmatism, which itself is anti-principle, 
is so therefore anti-American. And there was a woman who writes back to me on Twitter. She goes by the name Kira Arganova, which is a heroine from one of Ayn Rand's novels, We the Living. Um, she writes back and says, oh, well, it really depends on the context, which is exactly what a pragmatist would say. It was really kind of frustrating to me. Um, Rand's work is not just about the concretes and any parallel that I can draw between what happened to Hank Reardon and what's happening to YouTube. It is about fundamentally the role of reason in human life, the necessary role of reason and what happens when you ignore that. And one of the consequences of the fact that we survive by reason is that we need to act consistently with the tools that reason requires. And one of those tools is principle. If people go back to Atlas Shrugged, you know, suppose they remember, they remember like I do this parallel, there was force being used against a company and there's calls to regulate and maybe they're going to give in and all this. And there's Hank Reardon, here's YouTube. Suppose people see these parallels. Maybe they'll go back to Atlas. Maybe they'll read. And maybe this time they'll get more out of the book than just the politics, the concrete political events that take place. And they'll look deeper and they'll say, okay, the role of reason, the role of the mind in human life. And what is it that the mind requires to support human life? It requires the ability to operate by principles, by means of concepts and by means of principles based on those concepts. So in particular, Jerome the other day, he did a show. I, I recommend looking at the last show that he did on YouTube. It was a patron, uh, you know, he, he was answering patron questions from his, his Patreon. And he had this whole discussion about, you know, what's the importance of principle? How can we convince people about the importance of principle? And people need to understand that principle isn't just oh, well, it's something that makes things easier when everything's going okay, but when things get challenging, we should just feel free to abandon them. I think it's when things are even more challenging that you need to try to think about principle. Now, if, if we're actually on a lifeboat where our only way to live is by cannibalizing each other or something, okay, then we're gone, right? We're, we're not in the realm of ethics. We're not at all, but I don't think we're there. And people who are so willing to drop principle right now, I ask you, you know, if, if this principle has gone, you know, the, the anti-regulatory principle, if the principle of not initiating force against people unless they pose a risk to your rights, you know, if that's gone in the realm of immigration because, oh my God, there's a caravan from Honduras coming or whatever, uh, I, I don't know how you think if you've decided that principles are no longer the way that you generally govern your life and that you only drop them if you're really in an exigent emergency at that exact moment where principle doesn't apply anymore. Uh, we're not there. I, you know, I talk in general that things are pretty pessimistic right now, but one of the reasons I bring back YouTube is to try to keep the, the focus on the positive. And just like I can make a new sandwich out of today, right? I can say, look at this value that YouTube has provided. Yes, there's some horrible things going on in the accusations of censorship by YouTube that, you know, maybe it's going to fuel the call for regulation, the shooting yesterday, right? But I'm going to come back and say, look, 
we have got a tremendous tool, a, a philosophical tool that Rand gave us that we can use to continue to go out there and spread the right ideas. And in particular, argue for no regulation, even of these companies that might have left-wing inspired policies. Um, if we are going to achieve a country that has a government that is truly limited, limited to the principle of individual rights, limited by that principle, we're not going to achieve that by arguing for regulation. Uh, but if you're willing to drop that at a you know at moment's notice, what principles do you continue to apply? What principles do you drop? How do you ever think clearly about anything? That's really the question. I think that the best way here, as with free trade, is to go ahead and you know free trade drop tariffs to zero in the exchange of ideas and the free exchange of ideas that we would like to achieve out there. The best strategy is to argue for all regulations to be dropped to zero, even when the company is so-called corporatist, or even when the head of the company is in favor of regulation themselves. Uh, I think in the realm of ideas, it's the same thing as in the realm of uh, the economy, as in trade. There's nothing to be achieved by calling for the use of force against people to control the spread of ideas in particular you know, in, in these industries that affect our privacy and our ability to speak, it's even more crucial than anywhere else. And I, I feel like it, it is, it's the last bastion of real freedom right now. And it is the place where there are active calls to regulation. As I said, the, uh, the good news is that we have tools for this. Now, what other good news can I leave you with? I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with something else. And I'm hoping it's not too much of a stretch. It's not like the old Monty Python, you know, they, they had the transition when they had no transition and now for something completely different. When I do a new sandwich, I try to have it a little more elegant than that. But, you know, as I said, we've got this tool, which is this philosophy that can give us an understanding of the role of principle in human life. And if we can make clear to people the role of principle in human life, principle as the tool that our reason requires in order for us to actually continue to live. It's the whole thing behind rights in the first place. If we can get people to understand that and that we need to act consistently on it and fight the calls for regulation, then I think we can win. And, and I think it's exactly what we have to do. It's what your was talking about the other day. You know, I said, what can we do? These companies are the only thing standing between us and 90, 1984. George Orwell's 1984, I don't want it. What can we do? You speak the truth. Go out there and try to convince people. And the one optimistic sign that I saw this week wasn't necessarily with respect to this issue, but I'm hoping that we can see, um, you know, like a receptiveness among the population that's comparable. Let me tell you what I did see this week that I saw that I thought was heartening. It's that when Trump goes out there and Trump is calling for Amazon to be punished, punished for what? For taking advantage of low prices offered to it by the U.S. Postal Service, right? You know, he's calling for something to happen to them. Maybe they're going to be taxed more. Maybe they're going to be made to pay more for the USPS. Who knows? You know, he's out there tweeting against Amazon and saying Amazon is bad. 
you didn't build that Amazon in effect is the, is the tone in, in his tweets. The other thing is the impending trade war with China, right? He started it by saying he's going to go ahead and institute these tariffs and China has been coming back. And as, as far as I understand today has been an added step in the direction. What has happened? What has happened is the stock market has responded and the way that CNN money has interpreted it, the way Jonathan Honig has also interpreted it, they have said that the market has been telling Trump, lay off Amazon, lay off the tariffs. What does that mean? That means that regardless of these nationalist protectionist calls out there, that you see the people who are in the stock market, some of the most productive people who are left in our economy, the atlases in effect that are holding up the world. You know, again, is the market a really good proxy for this anymore? I know that there are certain people like Keith Weiner who might disagree with that, um, that the market doesn't really reflect rationality the way that it should in a, in a proper society. But to the extent that what the market does reflects the judgment of rational producers. We've got a lot of people out there telling Trump, lay off Amazon and lay off the tariffs. And I think that is a tremendously good sign about the American sense of life potentially being alive and well. And I am hoping that if my fears are correct, that somehow they're going to, you know, bend what this scumbag did yesterday and twist it and try to convert it into some sort of argument that YouTube needs to be regulated. I'm hoping that the market will respond, that the more rational people who work for the tech companies, yes, I'm talking to you, that you guys will speak up. Again, you guys, you work at YouTube, you work at Facebook, you work at Twitter, whatever. Now is the time to speak up about this. You have the ability to talk to the management in your company and say, look, we are, we are the people who are standing between a government that would like to grab more and more power and 1984, right? If you give in now to the calls to regulate, if you are weak, then potentially we're going to go ahead and accelerate that progress. Um, but there, I think there is a good sign that the more rational people could understand that these calls for censorship, you know, excuse me, the, the criticisms about censorship and the calls for regulation in, in relation to them, that what they mean concretely is what that woman is doing, that she's come and she put the gun at them and that that is wrong that this is not the way to achieve a change in policy. And it's not any better if you're calling for the force to be exerted indirectly. Oh, we all go to a voting booth and we vote and it's oh so civilized and that's how the force is applied. I, I am optimistic because of what the market has been telling Trump that there's enough people in the culture who can understand this and so that therefore they could... Uh, you know, sort of withstand the calls for censorship. Uh, Bear over at YouTube is optimistic, more optimistic than I am. Maybe Trump just is doing these tweets to tell Amazon, let's privatize the post office and take it over. You can do much better. Ha ha. Um, I mean, first of all, I don't think 
that there should be any special deal for Amazon to take over the postal service. That would be cronyism, but no, you can kind of feel the animosity that Trump has for Amazon in his tweets. I think there's definitely some jealousy there. Amazon has provided real value and made our lives so much better. I mean, you know, this is another company where I would say you people who are working for Amazon, you have also got to talk to the leadership in your company and try to make as clear as possible to them to whatever extent they may have been pro-government regulation in any other context that at least with this that they need to they need to resist uh, oh gosh someone over at youtube this guy i'm just going to call him out ken um you'll be able to see him in the comments because they go ahead and they We'll rerun the chat as the episode is played later. He says, when you use force, you get forced, YouTube. I'm glad they got shot. Okay, so you see, guys, why I have my little fear about this. Somehow YouTube had it coming to them because they dare to have some sort of content filtering policy, whatever it is. Again, I defy you to actually prove what their content filtering policy is. Maybe there's something to it that, goes a little bit left, but I don't think so. So again, how did, how did I do with new sandwich? This is a tough topic to sandwich in between two, but the two is the tremendous value that companies like YouTube provide. And then on the other hand, the, the other good slice of bread on the other side is that we have this powerful set of ideas and we have a philosophy of, and, a, and a novel that dramatizes the philosophy that we can use as tools to resist the calls to regulate these companies that have provided so much value in my life. That was my life, our lives, but all of our lives. Uh, that's the way that I see this sandwich going. It's, um, as I said, there's a lot of hostility towards these companies and we see it somewhat in the chat here on the YouTube comments as well. That's really nasty. It's really nasty to say that they, they've got force coming at them because they have a, some sort of content filtering policy, go ahead and start your own competing YouTube. Let's compete. If you think that their policies are so bad, start your own company. Don't call for regulation. Because again, what is your whole purpose in the first place? I ask you again, think about this clearly. The whole purpose for calling for force to be used against YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, the whole purpose supposedly is to work towards a day of limited government a government that is restricted to solely just protecting our rights. That is supposedly the purpose. How do you hope to achieve that by calling for regulation in the industry that is the last bastion of freedom in the United States? I just, how, how could that possibly work? Because once the government gets control over this industry, it's a clampdown and the ability to change the culture for the better is gone. Yeah, people are just, I'm sorry, I'm reading some comments over here at the YouTube. Yeah. It is, it's a fact that they have force coming at them. Okay. And then 
Michael says it's unlawful to use force. Back to Ken. It's not just unlawful to use force, right? And this is a, a topic. I've done a whole show on the rule of law. Whether something is or is not lawful is not the most important thing. And in fact, what today is, is it the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's death? Um, I didn't agree with King 100%, right? But King was of the idea that if there was an unjust law, that you had a moral obligation to disobey it. I don't think that you have a moral obligation to disobey an unjust law. So for example, the tax code, I think the tax code, you know, compulsory taxation is unjust, but I obey that law. Why? Because I think I, you know, in terms of my life and in terms of the goals I want to achieve and making the world a better place and everything else, I am much more valuable outside of prison coming out here on YouTube and spreading ideas than I would be in prison. So I'm not going to disobey the tax code and get myself thrown into prison, right? Um, and plus, I want to live my life. I want to enjoy the life that I have here on earth. Uh, Martin Luther King, though, he knew the distinction between something that was lawful and something that was right. So whether or not, you know, in our country right now, the initiation of force is consistently prohibited, it's not, right? We have government initiating force against us in so many realms. Taxes is just one of them. Uh, I encourage people to just separate the two, morality versus law, to try to think clearly in, in principle about that. Uh, whether it's unlawful or lawful to use force, as I said, some people are calling for the use of force against YouTube right now. Whether it ends up being lawful for that to take place, it would still be extremely wrong. It is wrong to use force to regulate a business in advance of showing that business has engaged in a violation of rights. If we could show that YouTube engaged in fraud, that they said that they had a certain policy with respect to the terms of service and that they said that they enforced it a certain way, but in fact, they enforced it another way and it was fraud, then go ahead, bring them to court. We have existing laws about fraud on the books, apply them. That's perfectly just. What would be unjust is to say, okay, let's have the government start controlling the content and let's go ahead and institute those regulations now because Trump and the Republicans are in power for this moment. It's, it's not going to help. Um, you know, like I said, Trump is not the freedom loving guy that you think he is. And second of all, what happens in the next five minutes when there's some other power hungry guy who's worse than Obama, that'll be the next guy. The next leftist will be worse than Obama. You'll be sorry. But again, what's the principle? The principle is no initiation of force. What's the larger battle? Why would you even call for regulation of YouTube in the first place? Because you're concerned about, um, you know, the, the, the leftist influence over the culture. And why are you concerned about the leftist influence over the culture? Because you're afraid that it's going to push us towards totalitarianism. Don't give totalitarian control to government as an answer to that. Let's see. Yeah, removal of force and coercion is an absolute condition for freedom. Yeah, the only moral way is to speak out, to, to speak out against it and refuse. You can say, okay, I'm going to boycott at a certain point. Uh, people have been laughing about boycotts recently, making fun of them, boycott the boycotters. But that is your answer in, in a free market is to say, don't do business with them. Don't do business with them. says, in reality, people will break the law. 
And he says, I have no confidence in the government to protect me for the things that I say. Now that is a separate issue. Obviously I would be in favor, Ken, of continuing to um, uphold the second amendment and your ability to defend yourself if you're out there saying controversial things and maybe you've got threats or whatever. Of course, you need to be able to defend yourself. We also do need to be confident in our government to protect us, even those who are saying controversial things, as long as we're not inciting violence. Uh, you know, Ken, I don't know. That thing that you said about they had this coming to them or something. Um, when you use force, you get forced. YouTube, I'm glad they got shot. How did YouTube use force? That's a question for you, Ken. How did YouTube use force? YouTube has their platform. It's open. Anybody can choose to use it or not use it. They're not forcing you to use that platform. What would be really awesome, right, is government starts to force us to have Facebook accounts and then starts judging us or taking actions or giving or withdrawing privileges for us based on what we do on our Facebook account. This is what's going on in China right now. And in England, there's been talk about using the social media accounts, you know, the, as identification for the obtaining of certain social services like nationalized healthcare and all that kind of stuff. That's the next step. YouTube censored, with, which is a form of mental force. How did they censor? Again, censors, it, censorship is the use of force. If YouTube is filtering content, you can say, well, I do or don't like the way that they filter content, right? And then you can leave. You're not forced to stay there. They're not using force against you. They're not saying that you can't put the content out there. They're just saying that they will not provide you with the platform. You know, having the right to freedom of expression, and this is something I should have mentioned earlier, sorry, this is a little freeform uh, lecture, but having the right to freedom of expression does not mean that you have the right to be provided with a platform or an audience ready-made for you. Yeah, they filtered. And it's important, Ken, that we be precise about the language that we use here because censorship has a connotation for any rational person. Censorship has a, ra has a connotation of the initiation of force because that's what government censorship is. It's government's use of force to stop people from speaking. YouTube is not government, not yet anyway. And my whole goal is to prevent YouTube from becoming government. It should be your goal. It should be your goal too. We should all have the goal of preventing YouTube and Facebook and Twitter from becoming government but you are not going to make sure that that doesn't happen if you're calling for government to regulate them. Once the government gets their claws more into them than they already do, again, I don't know what the case is with Twitter or YouTube. I guess I should do some more research on this, but what I did see, which was very disturbing to me, was that consent decree where government obtained some measure of control over Facebook's privacy policy. That is disturbing. We need to be very precise when we're using the term censorship. We need to distinguish censorship from private corporations' policies, and we need to be very principled and, I say, vocal at this juncture right now in our resistance of the calls to, to regulate these companies. If we regulate these big companies, and if it turns out that 
any distributor of content is going to come under these regulations now, we're done. It's Orwell's 1984. I mean, some people are talking, they, I, there was a speculation on one of my recent shows about how close are we to 1984. And some people were saying, oh, 50 years. And I was saying, no, more probably like 10 years, maybe five years, maybe less. I mean, you know, Trump's a pragmatist again. Trump is somebody who is ready to, as, you know, I've talked about pragmatism before, the, the ethical nature of pragmatism. If you read William James on pragmatism, he says the ethical thing to do is to satisfy demand. If a human being demands something, it is worth ethical, it's, yeah, it's, it's worthy of ethical consideration according to a pragmatist. If you read or listen to Donald Trump's inaugural address, he talks about hearing the demands of people and answering them. It's a very pragmatic in the very traditional sense uh, address that he gave. It didn't talk about the principles on which our country was founded. He has lambasted ideology, you know, and talking about the UN and everything else that we're for progress, not ideology. He is anti-principle Trump. And what we need to be is we need to very much uphold principle, principle, which is the coin in which, you know, reason operates, right? This is the tool of reason is, is principle. We need to use it consistently in arguing for the ability to continue to use reason for freedom. Uh, we should not shoot ourselves in, in the foot, so to speak, by giving in to the calls to, to regulation. And, and like I said, what I'm hoping is that people can, you know, look at what happened to YouTube, this atrocity at YouTube yesterday as a, you know, kind of stark dramatization in, in real life of what some people are actually calling for and what Ken was saying. Oh, well, good. They used force. They have not used force. YouTube has not used force. Speakers who come on campus, on college campus, and say things that you disagree with are not using force. The use of force is something that we need to be very clear about. YouTube has a policy. You can patronize them. You can choose to not patronize them. You have that ability. Over at Zoom, and by the way, thank you to the patrons who are joining me, the patrons and show supporters who join me over at Zoom. That is a perk that I give to patrons and show supporters. I would love to have you guys as a patron over at Patreon in addition to as a subscriber on YouTube if you are so inclined. John over here at Zoom says, one has to agree to too many terms and conditions to exist in this country. One cannot compete because one can't enter the market without doing so, which ties one's hands completely. Uh, so is it hard to enter a market right now and compete with, for example, a YouTube? Yeah, it would be a challenge to do that. And I would say in every era where people have said, oh, well, this company is too big and you can't compete with them. So for example, AT&T, and then there was Alcoa, the aluminum company and everything else. Everyone has always said, oh, you can't enter the costs of entry, you know, barriers to entry are too big and everything else. It, it, it just doesn't exist. And, I, and the answer is not, well, let's go ahead and call for some regulation of these companies because that's just going to set up more barriers to entry, more things that you have to do, boxes you have to check in the light of government. Uh, you, cannot, you can't get on the internet without agreeing to some terms and conditions. Yeah, you have to make a contract with the internet service provider. 
But I can tell you, I'd much rather be in a position where I am agreeing to terms and conditions with a private company versus having the government just impose something on me and not have to click off those terms and conditions. Could there be some standardization that could help make those terms and conditions more navigable? Sure, let's go ahead and figure out how to do that. But the calls to regulate, it's not good. Um, John says, if it's fair, that's fine, but I live in a place that only one provider is here. Yeah, so then, John, what we need to look at is, are you in a place that there's only one provider because only one provider can survive, like it's a very rural area and nobody could make any money doing it because of that? Or has that provider obtained a, you know, sort of a government-aided monopoly over the, the service there. And as I understand it, at least with internet and cable service providers, there's some cronyism and some government interference going on. And technology is giving us the means to get rid of a lot of that. A lot of people are choosing to unplug and get their content directly over the internet versus the cable companies, for example. That's just one small example of the way that technology has enabled us to bypass government regulations and controls. And I want to be able to continue that process. And like I said, when I saw the atrocity from yesterday, and in particular, the fact that the police may have known about it, may, again, it, it's disputed whether they did, but suppose there was a police officer who thought like Ken here at the YouTube chat and thought, oh, she's going to shoot up YouTube because of censorship and wow, boy, they've got it coming to them because my favorite people have been censored off YouTube too, my favorite conservatives or whatever. Police tend usually to be more conservative. Suppose that happened, right? That's the kind of thing I was thinking about. And then suppose, you know, Trump comes in and says, hey, YouTube, God, it's really bad, that horrible thing that happened to you. We'd hate to see it happen again. We'd like to protect you. Yeah, that, that was my whole inspiration. Um, but the, the tools, YouTube and everybody has given us the tools. We have a philosophy. We have a set of ideas that we can use to fight any of these calls for censorship and also any of the calls for violence. But we need to do, excuse me, censorship. Sorry. I need to speak very precisely in this context because I've been telling you, don't use the word censorship in the wrong way. Um, I meant to say regulation. We can fight these calls for regulation by being very clear about what is and is not censorship and also being very clear about the need for principle. Yes, even today. Even today. Uh, Ken asked, do you believe a world could exist where only government uses force? Um, he's asking Michael over there. I'm going to go ahead and answer that. No, I don't believe that a world could ever exist where only government ever uses force. First of all, there's always going to be a small minority in any society of nut jobs and whatever like that woman yesterday who used force in order to fight YouTube's so-called censorship. Um, there's going to be a small minority of those people. And in addition, I think even in a proper society where the government could be counted on to do its utmost to protect everyone's rights very efficiently and, and competently and everything else, there are still always going to be exigent circumstances in which you should be able to use a weapon 
and use force and self-defense to defend your rights. So no, I don't think that there would ever be a society in which only government would use force. Yeah, some people will break the law. But in this case, Ken, where I challenge you, where I say you were wrong, is that somehow YouTube used force and so therefore force should be used against them. If YouTube did use force, go prove it in a court of law. That's what civilized people do. You don't go vigilante style shoot up, but they did not use force. YouTube did not engage in censorship. Um, if you offend somebody, be prepared. I mean, th this idea like, oh, if you offend somebody, you should be prepared to be shot. If you offend somebody, you should deserve to be shot. This is the very thing that we need to be questioning in our society. Are we going to be human beings who exist by dealing with each other by means of persuasion and reason and trade? Or is it, oh, well, you offended me, and so therefore I'm going to shoot you? Okay. Well, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a line right there because I am a person who believes in the ability and in the propriety of human beings to deal with each other by use of reason. It is only through our use of reason that we can ever hope to sustain anything like human life, that we can continue to achieve this, that you can even be on this platform right now sharing whatever ideas that you have was made possible by human reason. Human reason cannot operate when physical force is used against it. And the idea that somehow I should expect that in a, in a civilized society in the 21st century is, I think, wrong. And I mean, I guess what you're going to say, okay, Martin Luther King, but no, I think we should progress beyond that. He says, uh, Amy, there's only a very small percentage of human beings who use reason in the way that you do. We do not need a majority of people right now using reason in the way that I do in order to move towards a better world, Ken. We don't need that. All we need are a substantial minority, and I think we do have that, a substantial minority who are able to go out there and consistently articulate the role of reason in human life, the necessity of leaving reason free in order to operate and to continue to provide all of the wonderful things that we have out there on YouTube, on Facebook. You know, I'm going to end by telling you guys, I've got a repost that I did on Instagram today. Beautiful piece of artwork from the 19th century by uh, an artist the name is uh, Stefan Sinding, a, a sculptor who was just so tremendously talented. And internet puts this at my fingertips that I could see this beautiful photograph of this great sculpture and share it around, the beautiful things that, that human beings have to offer one another. Let's try to focus on that. Let's try to focus on the faculty that makes those beautiful things and all these technological mar marvels possible. And let's continue to defend the ability of people to, you know, use their minds to govern their behavior, to make their decisions, to govern their lives, for YouTube to continue to set policies. Let's criticize them, but the, let's leave them free. 
Same with Facebook. As I said, I think Facebook's been sort of fumbling a little with its privacy policy, but I think they're earnest and they've provided us with tremendous value. Let's thank them. Let's, as Jerome has said, be in awe of the tremendous value that these businesses have provided us. And let's, like I said, defend them against the calls for regulation. So that's what I have to say today, everybody. I'm going to go ahead first and end the stream with the people over at YouTube. Everybody at YouTube, thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to hang out for the people who are over at the Zoom chat over for the, the patrons and the subscribers, the show supporters, and maybe do a little bit of Q&A. I'm getting a bit tired, as you can probably tell here at the end of this. I've, I got quite emotional, but I'm going to hang out for a few more minutes. You guys who want to be in these post-show little chat sessions, become a patron over at Patreon. So I'm going to stop the live stream. Take care, everybody. And I'll talk to you next time. A new sandwich. I'm hoping to do a show, by the way, with Jerome this weekend, maybe on Sunday. I think he's got a conference on Saturday. So I'm hoping Sunday will work. And I was going to be on Tucker tomorrow, but now it's tentatively bumped over to next Tuesday that I would be on Tucker show on Fox. Okay. So take care, people. I'll talk to you next time. I'm going to hang out with the people over in Zoom. Okay. I'm over just still at Zoom people. So um, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you think Zoom is a slicker act? app to use, Luca? I think so. Definitely think so. Um, but anybody else with some questions? No, I think I probably said all that needed to be said. Use it for other teleconferencing too. Oh yeah, one suggestion. Okay. From Luca. I can unmute you if you want to talk, Luca. Do you want me to unmute you and you can talk or do you want to type? Here, let me do that. Okay. Oh, no, wait, I unmuted the wrong person. Sorry. I'm muting you. Again. Oh, no, no, no. I can. Okay, you unmuted yourself. Microphone. Excellent. Okay, no, excellent. I haven't. I have not. I don't know. But I, I saw the mic turning, turning uh, white, so I know that I'm, I should be speaking. You hear yes. me, yeah? Yes, I can Good. hear you. One quick suggestion. This is, I believe, your second time. If I if I'm correct, as far as the new sandwich is concerned, or maybe third. Second time, yes. Second, right. Um, I love the fact that it was 45 minutes the first time, and now this, we're this went on one too long, hour. right? This went on too long. I wonder whether uh, I like the 45 minutes format. I like it if it's shorter than an hour. Okay. 45 minutes sounded great. One and a half hours starts to be exactly the, the same amount of time you have with your own. Yes. It's a lot of content. Um, yes. Sandwich to me is also quite slick, quite, quite thin in a way, something that you would eat fast and digest quickly. Yes. No, believe me, that's what I actually thought I was going to do today, but this topic really got me going. Sorry about that, Luca. It happens. I, I, can, I can see that. And I'm happy I have read that uh, you're working on a book project on, on privacy. I think that's, that's the thing you should be focusing on. It's a huge topic. So. And yeah, you're no. deep, knee deep in it, so. Yeah, no, and the, like I said, this this topic though really got me going, and some of the um, some of the back and forth with Ken, I guess, too, got me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, in a way, it's good that you have these kind of people on, 
but don't give them too much, you know, rope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they bring out important points though, too. So anyway, yeah, I, I had thought actually this was going to be really short and that I didn't have a lot to say. So we go into this and, and we don't always know exactly what we're dealing with, right? Cool. Nice talking with you. For Thank you, time. sir. Yeah, it's cool to hear your voice because I hadn't, you know, obviously we've interacted online, but I hadn't heard your voice before. So, right. Thanks. Cool thanks. Beans. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, John asks, are you discontinuing blog talk? You know, I'm just broadcasting live on here. And then I figure all I do is I upload the audio file to blog talk. So I'm not discontinuing. I'm going to continue to put the shows up there. But when I was broadcasting live, I'd only have one person in the chat room over at blog talk. Anyway, it didn't seem to make much sense. So instead I've got this chat going, I've got the chat over at YouTube going. And so I think this is a much better way to go to have these two chats going. I might eventually try to figure out how to live stream on Facebook at the same time. And that would probably dramatically increase the audience. Um, but yeah, the blog talk interface, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting too clumsy and stuff. And I don't know if I can continue to upload longer shows over there by uh, you know, keep like ha with a free account or anything like that, but I might actually downgrade the account over there because I'm, I'm paying something for the zoom service now. And I like the service a lot better. It, you know, in terms of being able to stream out on YouTube and everything else, you just can't beat it. So everybody, I got a zoom <laughs> speaking of zoom, I got to go because it's an hour and a half. As I said, I went on a lot longer here than I thought I would. So thank you everybody. Um, uh, can Zoom also stream to restream or yeah, it can, it can stream to restream. And the problem is I tried to do that one time and it failed to get over to YouTube and I can use Zoom to stream directly to YouTube very reliably. So I've got to maybe go back and, and circle back to the tech. The other thing I could do is I could just use a different camera to stream out to Facebook at the same time. So I'd have two different cameras, one for Zoom and one for Facebook. We'll see. I'm thinking of some different options. Right now, I think I got to concentrate on doing shorter new sandwiches because <laughs> I did. I went on longer than I thought. So thank you guys. And I will see you next time. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.